Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Now, most that have been around church, uh, when we hear Malachi chapter 3, our immediate, uh, our immediate um, thought in Malachi chapter 3 is beginning with verse 8, will a man rob God, where it goes into robbing God with our tithe and our offering. And that's where most people think of uh, when we think of Malachi chapter 3. But Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 is a huge verse because it's the verse by which Mark opens up his entire gospel. Uh, Malachi 3 chapter 1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the government. So we kind of see this play out in, in Malachi. Now let's get into Mark, and I'm going to read you the section that we're going to focus on today, and then we're going to kind of get into this a little bit today and kind of get into the, ap the application to you today as you're taking time out to watch on Sunday morning. What does this have to do with me? Well, thank you for asking that because I'm going to tell you. But before we do that, let's get our scripture for what we're going to look at today. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 1 through verse 13. So, that's the slice of Mark that we're going to be focusing on today. So to give context, we're going to take a moment. We're going to read that. If you have access to a Bible, I want to encourage you to pull it out, uh, whether it's one of these where it's a physical or you have it on your phone or device. I'm going to ask you, take a moment, grab your device, grab your Bible, get a hold of it. Let's go through this together. Read through Mark chapter 1. And if I was in a live audience, I'd probably raise my hand and say, who of you has actually read Mark from, uh, from beginning to end? I would say a good majority probably has because it's small and a lot of people like to read the Gospels. But I'm sure there's some of you that have never read the Gospel of Mark from start to finish. Congratulations, by the time we're done this series, you would have read the entire Gospel of Mark. Check one book down, 65 more books to go, and you can read the entire Bible. Um, Mark chapter 1, we're going to read the first 13 chapters, uh, first 13 uh, uh, verses of 1, and that's going to be sort of what we're going to start with today in week 1. Are you still with me? I can't hear you. I'm just joking. I hope you're still with me, um, uh, but we're going to get to it. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets. We just read this, but Mark opens up with this in verse 2. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea. And those of Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And he preaching, saying, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I love that promise. Verse number nine, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
Verse number 12, immediately, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan and was with wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. Now that's going to be where we're going to focus on today. That's sort of where we are going to start. So I want you to focus sort of on three different points today that we're going to look at in this three sections. There's sort of three sections of scripture we're going to look at. Uh, that is uh, the, the role of John the Baptist. We're going to look at the baptism of Jesus Christ. And finally, we're going to look at that wilderness experience. Now, I'm not going to go into the details like other gospels have where we get into the temptation. John doesn't get into, Mark doesn't get into that. So I'm not going to use the other gospels. I'm going to stick with how Mark writes it. Um, and I want you to look at it that way um, and um, kind of look at these three sections. But before you do that, here's what I want us to do. We're going to pray. Because here's what I desire for all of us to do. I want you to come into this with fresh eyes. Now, for some of you, you'll actually get to do this, which you have an advantage. But for a lot of us who are familiar with the Bible, we're familiar with the Word of God, we've read it maybe hundreds of times. I want you to get into a posture where it's as if you've never heard of the Gospel of Mark. You're reading it fresh for the very first time. And put that kind of cap on. Put on your head, put on a thinking cap of, it's the first time I've read the Gospel of Mark. And come in with fresh eyes. Father, we commit ourselves to you today. I give you this uh, series. You've led me to do this. This is your word. This is your story. This is about you. And Lord, you know more than I do what is needed to be said here today. You know every word that needs to be said. You know who needs to hear it and how they need to hear it. So I speak, Father, in the name of Jesus, that your word would go forth, that it would have power and life, that fruit would come from the seed of your word planted in our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, I speak that the word would be mixed with faith. I lose faith to operate into the hearing of the word. I lose that the heart of us, our hearts would be prepared to receive the seed of your word. And I speak that revelation would be upon our eyes, that it would be open to what you're saying. Lord, don't let us just look at these with familiarity, but God, give us a fresh look into who you are, a fresh revelation into who you are, a fresh understanding into who you are. In Jesus' name, praise God. It is 55 AD. It's been about 20 years since Jesus ascended into the heavens. You're living in a small um, province of Rome, far away from the epicenter of Jerusalem where all of these events have happened. You've heard rumors of this new founded, energized movement, followers of Christ. You've heard the message of their, their, their movement spreading across places in Asia Minor. You're living in your Roman province, maybe somewhere between Greece and Rome itself. Somewhere there you're, you're, you're caught somewhere in all that and you can hear of the 
faint rumors of things that are happening in the empire. And a part of that is this spreading of this message of this man named Jesus. Apparently, these followers of Jesus Christ are quite uh, impactful. In fact, they are actually creating a lot of unrest in cities. It's, it's causing uneasiness in the empire because these people are very passionate and uh, you understand, as a Roman citizen, the, um, the danger in what they're doing. Because to do anything outside of following Caesar and the gods of Rome is blasphemy. You're considered to be an atheist if you don't believe in the gods of Rome. And so these people are so fanatical that they're breaking free from Rome, they're breaking free from even the belief that Caesar is God. But they're doing it with such a passion and such a fervency. And, and the rumors you've heard, they're painting a picture of people that you're just, you've never heard of people that are like this. And they're having these experiences and uh, they're, 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 they're seeing things happen. And, and you've heard of, uh, of, of, of people being healed and, and, and lives being changed. But you're not really sure... If, it's real or not. There's a lot of things that happened in the empire of Rome at the time that are sensationalized. So you really don't know if it's true or not. But you're fascinated by it because you know that your life has a hole in it. There's an emptiness there. You don't really understand what you're searching for because you've studied the philosophies of Greece. You, you, you've, you've, you've studied the, 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 uh, the, the philosophies of Rome and you, you, you've been schooled in all the ideologies of Roman religion and Greek mythology, but it just doesn't seem like it does anything for you. You go to temple and you, 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 you pay homage to the, to the Greek and the Roman gods. You, you participate in all the holidays and festivals and the holy days uh, as prescribed by Caesar and the empire. You go to all of the things that celebrate what it means to be Roman, but doesn't really affect you here when you go at home and you go to your place where you live you don't really feel any different you you do these things because it's your obligation as a roman citizen to do these things but you don't really do these things because you believe them you're not living it out you're just sort of doing what's expected of you because there's a social obligation involved there's a there's a a a, a civil obligation to do these things but there's no faith. There's no real connection to this. God is a man that is living in the halls of Rome itself, or God is a stone or wood carving that you go and you give homage to. But you have a sense that maybe there's something bigger. And then you hear about this movement that is literally starting to take over the world and it has to do with some guy named Jesus who apparently 20 years ago lived in Jerusalem and you know he did a bunch of amazing things taught a bunch of stuff and apparently what was even crazier he died they crucified him which is a very Roman way to die we Romans really know what to do with people and then somehow they claim that he was in the grave and then three days later he came out of the grave. Apparently it was a big deal. And some crazy person told me that he actually ascended into heaven. 
And uh, a bunch of his followers, a few days later, uh, had this crazy experience where they actually believed that, that he actually came down and lived in them. But all of a sudden, the last number of years, things have taken off. And um, there's some guy, apparently his name is Paul, I think is what his name was. He's all over the map. I don't know if he's ever going to make it here to my city, but if he does, that would be cool to meet him. So that's who you are. We've painted the picture. Somewhere along the way, maybe it was a trader, maybe it was a merchant, maybe it was someone who had traveled on a holiday, came back and handed you a rolled up scroll and said, here, you might want to read this. You take it back to your home. It's in the evening. You light a candle and you begin to unroll the scroll before you to see what your friend or neighbor has given to you. And you look at that and the first words out that you read are the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You are about to embark on a letter written by a man you don't even know, but it's going to tell you about this guy that you're familiar about, but you don't know by the time you get to the end, your life will never be the same. Because you're about to be introduced into the greatest character in all of human history. So I want you to focus on three things today as you approach this with this posture over the next few minutes. We're going to look at three different things that we begin to see shape out even the very beginning of, John, of, of Mark's gospel. That is, number one, Jesus is unlike any other. We know that today. We, we claim that. We shout about that. There's nobody like Jesus. We sing about it. Can't nobody do you like Jesus. Can't nobody do you like the Lord. Oh, can't nobody do me like Jesus. He's my friend. We know that. We know that. We sing it. But imagine there's nobody like Jesus. That's point number one. Number two I want you to look at is, is that the awe and the reverence of the good news of Jesus Christ. We sometimes lose the awe of the fact of who Jesus really is. And finally, the third thing I want you to look at is the start of making Jesus the priority of our entire life, our entire being. Because notice, we're going to get to the point in Mark where Mark flips the script on not just talking to you about Jesus, but trying to engage you to follow him. Mark is the one that said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. We're going to see that switch come in the gospel of Mark. He's going to lay out a foundation of who this guy is, who this Jesus person is, what he is, what he brings to the table. He's going to give you some foundation to who he is. But then he's going to flip the script and he's going to say, now that you know him, what are you going to do about it? So that's why Mark has two themes. He's a thorough look and examination of who Jesus is, followed by a true understanding of what it means to follow him. What's true discipleship about? 
And we know that Mark's gospel was written to a Gentile audience. That's why I gave you the little bit of a theoretical scenario of you being a Roman, living in a Roman town, being a Gentile, because we know, based off reading Mark, we know that he uh, was writing to a Gentile audience. How do we know that? It was because he explains things that a Jewish audience would already know that would not have to take explaining. That's how we know that. So again, you are, if I was speaking to a non-American audience today, I might say July 4th is going to be a wonderful holiday. We all know what that is, right? But I would have to tell a non-American audience, July 4th is the founding of America. We celebrate it. It's July 4th, 1776, in which we declared our independence from the British Empire. I would have to explain all that. I don't have to explain that to you, most of you. I, you know what July 4th represents as this country, right? So again, that's how you know a little bit of the audience here. So those three things are going to guide us. But let's look at this section by section. And we're going to look at those in the three sections. The first section we're looking at is sort of that beginning statement about John. And I love how Mark begins his entire gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of of God. He doesn't pull any punches. He comes right out of it and says, here's who Jesus is. Here's what he's about. Jesus, the son of God. So Mark opens by setting the stage for Jesus. And the word he uses here is gospel. We've heard that term thousands of times, but here it's a connotation by using the word gospel that Mark is about to tell us a story about a victor. Everybody loves a good a story of a hero. Everybody loves a hero. Greek mythology is all about heroes. Romans had their heroes. Gladiators were worshipped. And on the stage, if you were a gladiator, you were a hero. Soldiers and generals who had won great victories were heroes. People still this day love their heroes. The highest grossing movies of all time are superhero movies. We're still all searching for a hero. And even back then when Mark signs, gives us his gospel, he starts off by saying, this is going to be a gospel, meaning I'm about to tell you about a victor. I'm about to tell you the story of a victor, the greatest victor that's ever lived. But I'm about to tell you the good news about a victor. Jesus Christ, because everybody loves a good hero. And we start off with this origin story of where this Jesus came from. So I want you to look at this again as a Gentile living in Rome, knowing nothing, reading the opening statement of Mark. Reading the, the open statement here, here's your first question. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you read that opening statement with a blank slate, what is your expectation from Jesus? What kind of things do you anticipate from him with that kind of statement? If I said to you today that what I hold in front of you is the greatest book of all time, the number one book, seller ever written and penned by a man, it would all of a sudden, what would be your opinion of this book and what would be the expectation you would have by such a huge claim? 
Notice, when we hear the word son of God, we are familiar with that. It doesn't shock us. But back then, to claim the sonship of God himself was a huge, massive statement. And Mark comes out and says, this is a gospel of the son of Jesus Christ, the son of God. What is your expectation of Jesus? And what do you anticipate from him in the, in the following verses? Because why? Well, no, in just a few minutes, there's something special about John, about Jesus. Here's how we know this, because John the Baptist gets it. He gets it. He gets it. He gets this idea because his announcement of who Jesus is, when we read there in the last part of that, when John says, uh, there comes one after me who's mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John gets it, man. He gets it. He said, if you guys think it's is all really cool what you're doing here, you have no idea what's about to come. This is huge what's about to happen. That was the attitude that John had. John gets it. He got it. He, he understood who Jesus was. He could feel it. Let me ask you this. Who is Jesus to you? I know that sounds like a silly answer to, silly question to ask people, especially the majority of you that are watching today who probably have some relationship with Jesus Christ to ask you such a simple and somewhat elementary question. Who is Jesus to you? But have you ever tried to really answer that? Who is Jesus to you? Because let's be frank, if I ask you that, most of you are going to give me some kind of cookie cutter um, uh, uh uh, template answer. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Jesus is my everything. Jesus is all to me. That's, that's a blanket statement. No, who is Jesus to you? Don't give me Christian rhetoric. Don't give me a bumper sticker. Don't give me a, 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 a Christian bookshop painting. Who is Jesus to you? What kind of Savior has he been? To you. What do you want him to be? Now, though that's a hard question to ask, what do you want Jesus to be? But some of us want him to be something he's never going to be. You see, we will never come out and say that, but when I ask you that question, what do you want Jesus to be to you? Some of you, your answer would probably be, you know what, I want him to be my problem fixer. I want him to be, I want him to change my entire life and make it better because I don't like my life. I want him to be my sugar daddy. I want him to be my errand boy. I want him to be my janitor. We would never say these things, but we imply those things by the way we ask and what we ask him for. So let me ask this again. Who is Jesus to you? And because of that, what kind of savior has he been? And what do you want him to be? You see how all three of those questions are, are, are needing to be answered by you and I because it's a way for us to connect our faith. Because if we're never asked those questions and we're never forced to answer those questions, we can live in a world where we can hide our real true motives through pious religious activities. Come to church, lift my hands, do my prayers, read my Bibles, but really I don't look at God as any more than an accessory to my life. Or worse yet, he's my janitor, my cleanup crew, 
He's my errand boy that when I need something done, oh God, I'm at, woo, hey God, I really would, could use you to help me with this. Could you do this? Could you do that? Hey, by the way, let me rub you today uh, with a little bit of praise. God, you're good. God, you're worthy. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for this day. Expecting God to pop out and say, oh, did you awake me? What would you like for me today? Oh, God, thank you for, okay, let me see. I got three choices today. Number one, could you fix this? Number two, I've got this bill to pay so you could do this. And number three, I just don't like my life. Could you make it better? Well, okay then. Okay, God, thank you. I'll see you tomorrow for my three wishes tomorrow. We wake up in the morning, we're like, okay, God, you're good. God, you're worthy. I love you, Jesus. You're my everything. Okay, okay. Oh, I'm not rubbing hard enough. God, hurry, hurry, Jesus. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're everything. Whoop. Yes, you've, 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 you've awakened me with praise. What would you like today? I know that's a silly Aladdin version of who Jesus is, but that's exactly how we live our lives. So when I ask you, who is Jesus to you? And what kind of savior is he? And what do you want him to be? You got to answer these questions with truth because you might say, you know what? I want him to change me to be more like him. Who is Jesus to you? Jesus is, is my source. Jesus is the, it, 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 it's, it's, without him, I, I, I've got nothing. He's everything. And, and he's been the savior to me that, that has changed me, given me hope and life and a reason. And more than that, I want him to be the image in which I'm being shaped into. So if that's the case, I want him to be my guide, my teacher, my savior, my king, my Lord. I may not always like it, but I see what I mean? See how this shapes this? And you look at those things and then you can start to see something here, which we saw in the very beginning is you can see how God begins to use circumstances to reveal himself. This is why when we avoid circumstances, certain things, we are actually avoiding revelation because God is using circumstances in your life right now to reveal to you either you or reveal to him Reveal to you who he is or a combination of both. Because when he reveals to you who you are, then in return, you can see and desire to know who he is. And when you get that combination, powerful change can happen. And we see this played out. He used circumstances. Now get this real quickly here. I don't want to take too much time into this because I don't want to get too deep into this. But the first point I want you to look at is is that the Bible says that here in, in uh, verse number mm, five, then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, meaning they went out to John because they heard this guy, John. And I love how Mark kind of tells us who this guy is. He's clothed in camel's hair. He's got a leather belt around his waist. And he eats locusts and wild honey, meaning he's snacking on cicadas, drinking honey and camel's hair. This guy was not normal. He was wild. He was a little crazy. He wasn't dressed. I love how he gives us a description of how he was dressed. He's wearing camel hair and a leather belt, meaning he wasn't dressed posh. He was a little rough around the edges. 
So the first thing I begin to see here that God is trying to show me here and Mark is trying to convey is that when you see Jesus, sometimes it's not going to look pretty at first sight. Sometimes the things that God wants to show us aren't appealing to our eyes at first. They don't, they don't draw us in with aesthetics. That's why, no offense, we need to do things the best we can. But that's why it's really kind of, kind of disturbing that our church world has gone to such an emphasis on image. Our buildings are based on image. We want the buildings to be these, these, these cathedrals of beauty. And I'm not saying we should have shacks and shanties and, and stained carpet and cracks in the wall. We need to have decent. But it's not the image of the building that really draws people. It's Jesus that draws. He said, no man can come to, the, come to me except drawn. No man can come to the Father except that are drawn by me. It's the Father that draws. You've got to be drawn. It's not the building, the, the aesthetics. But nowadays, we become so image conscious. I'm telling you, we can put a fresh paint of coat on, a, on walls. We can change the carpet color. We can change the seating. We can change the lighting. And that may look good, okay, but it's not going to make people find Jesus anymore because the truth of the reality of God is it could be camel's hair, a leather belt, a pile of cicadas, and a bowl of honey. But Jesus is the reason. Can I tell you some today? The first life application lesson from this this morning is some of you are looking for Jesus and you're trying to look at him with all the pizzazz. That's the problem. That's why they missed him. They were expecting him to come with a mighty army. He came as a babe and a manger. They're expecting this great king, this great pomp and circumstances with a great army and all of the riches of this world. But he came in a manger. His great triumphal entry, entry into Jerusalem was on the back of a borrowed animal. He didn't even have his own animal. He had to borrow it. Some of you are looking for Jesus in the wrong places. You're looking for him in the beauty, but he's actually living in the ashes. You're looking with him in the beauty of, of, of things, but he's sometimes hidden in the ugliness of the circumstance that we're surrounded by. Get it. You're living in Jerusalem. You hear about this wild guy out there. You're drawn out into the wilderness. Notice you're drawn out into the middle of the Judean wilderness. Nothing's around you but dirt, rock, sun. You're drawn out and you see this crazy guy standing out there covered in locusts. I mean, covered in a, a camel hair with a leather belt and a pile of locusts and honey. A wild man proclaiming to you, hey, by the way, there's a guy coming after me that's even greater than I am. I can't even, I can't even touch his shoes. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with Holy, the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. What? Why wouldn't God give this message to someone who could proclaim it with beautiful robes and dressed in such wonderful ornate and stand on the palace steps and say, Hear ye, hear ye, Jerusalem, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Son of God will now appear to you. That's what we're, we, we say... We know that, but that's what we look for. I look, I, I try to look my best. I, uh, I get up in the morning, I comb my hair, I, I go to a particular 
barber who I've gone for years because I like the way he cuts my hair. I try to, my wife helped me pick out my glasses because she said they look good on my face. I, I try to keep myself, uh, uh, you know, put together. I try to come, uh, try to, 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 to dress in a, an appropriate manner. I try to put myself, I, I, I'm, I can't say that I'm sitting here today uh, not conscious of, the, of my image. I don't want to uh, take that. But again, frank with you, uh, nowadays, preachers and, and people that are trying to proclaim God are more worried about what they look like than what the message that they're portraying is. Because that's image. But there we see the very beginning. God really doesn't really care about image. He doesn't really care about image. He's saying, look, let me tell you this before you get too far into it. Let's get a couple things established here in the first eight verses. He says, number one, let me get this straight. Because this is important. Here's what Mark's telling us in the first eight verses. Number one, this guy Jesus is a really big deal. In fact, he's so big, he's actually the son of God. Number one, you're going Okay, wow. I don't know who this guy is, but if he's the son of God, this is going to be cool. But he follows that up immediately by telling you, and you know who he chose to proclaim who he was? He picked a wild guy living out in the middle of the... That's, I'm not trying to be, cra not trying to be crit critical, but in that day, they sent the crazy people out to the wilderness. The people that didn't fit with society, the people that had that were just uh, either possessed or they had just they were just 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 crazy. That's where they would send you. They'd send you out to the wilderness. If you weren't in with society, you were you were so. If you had leprosy, you went away. If you were crazy, you went away. If you were possessed, all these things, you were away. So now God's choosing something that doesn't fit with the norm of society. And Mark's trying to tell you this. Look, here, number one, Jesus is a big deal. But number two, before you get caught up into, because when I say big deal, I know what you're thinking about. You're thinking of Caesar. You're thinking of Greek mythology. You're thinking of palaces and great wealth and all this stuff. But wait a minute before you go too far. Don't forget, Jesus it was introduced to the stage by a guy dressed in camel's hair and a leather belt, not Louis Vuitton. Not Gucci, not Prada, not Armani. And he didn't even shop at the mall. The dude was wearing camel's hair. And by the way, uh, he eats cicadas and washes them down with honey. And I love it wasn't just honey, it was wild honey. Meaning my man was going straight into the beehives, grabbing him honey. And I mean, this is a wild dude. And Mark's telling you, if you think God is going to come to you in a pretty little package with everything perfect, probably not. In fact, sometimes his greatest re revelations are in the ugliest of circumstances. How many of you right now are in some ugly circumstances in your life? Just ugly. You don't like them. They're ugly. You're surrounded by ugliness. Maybe your house is not the best. Maybe your car is not the best. Maybe the clothes you wear, maybe your job. Maybe there's relationship. There's just ugliness around you. And you're saying, wait a minute, this can't be God because if it's God, all of this should be perfect. I should have beautiful things and beautiful marriage and beautiful life and beautiful this and beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And God's like, no, no, you're missing it. This is a camel hair and cicada thing. I'm trying to show you something, but it's not pretty. And we immediately go from that 
Revelation to the second thing where of all people, Jesus Christ shows up on the scene. And who is the one to christen him as the lamb, the one who's going to be the son of God? It's this crazy guy. This circumstance, this, this rough circumstance brings the greatest revelation ever on earth. Followed by a proclamation made by the crazy guy who's got locust legs stuck in his teeth, who says, this is the guy. Jesus steps into the Jordan River and John baptizes him. And when he comes out, the Bible says there's a dove that descends upon him and a voice out of heaven that states and, and stamps this, you are my beloved son in whom I well please. Why is this important? Not only is it telling us and setting the stage for you as the reader of who Jesus is and the fact he's a big deal. In fact, he's so big that there was a voice from heaven that proclaimed how big he was going to be. But it also sets the stage of a way you and I are going to have to follow somewhere down the line. When we decide to follow him, the steps that Jesus made that day are the same steps you and I are going to have to make. It's the fact that there's going to have to be water and there's going to have to be spirit somewhere in our own journey. And those things of obedience are going to lead us into this place of sonship. And if you're a first century reader, you understand the power of sonship. You know what it's like to wear the ring of the father. You know what it's like to do business in the name of the father. You know what it means to have the name of the father on your life. You know what it means to carry the family name and do business. Oh, somebody needs to hear what I'm saying. You know what it means to have the family name, to be in the house of the family, to have that name on you and ring and enrobed in the family colors and to have that done and you can go and do things in the name of the family and when you speak the name of the family that things happen people listen people do things you can go to the marketplace and buy simply based off the name of the family you can go and you can doors will be open to you opportunity will be afforded you just by simply mentioning the name of the family and right here right now Mark is trying to tell you that this is a path to sonship. Because Romans 8 tells us that as many as led are the led of the Spirit, they are the sons of God. That we've been, we've been adopted by Christ. And here's the process. Water and Spirit produces obedience that leads to sonship. Notice Jesus was baptized by John. The Spirit of God came upon him. And there was a, a mark of, of a stamp of approval that says, you, you are well done. You've obeyed. You've followed my commands. And because of this, this is a path to sonship. Jesus, right here, right now, Mark's trying to tell you, listen, there's coming a time that once you know who this Jesus is, Mark already knew where he was going. This Jesus fellow that I'm giving him who you are, I'm introducing you, get ready. He is the son of God. This guy is amazing. You're going to want to know him. You're going to want to follow him. I'm going to tell you in a few minutes, when you keep reading, how to follow him, but when you get all that, here's the path. Water, spirit, obedience, sonship. Water, spirit, obedience, sonship. 
I'm showing you. So Mark sets the stage. He's giving you this opening salvo of, of understanding. He's telling from the very beginning, number one, Jesus is a really big deal. He's the son of God. In fact, even it was proclaimed thousands of years ago who he was going to be. It was written in books that have been out of that, that have been written hundreds of years ago. This day was coming. So number one, he's a big deal. Number two, he uses some rough circumstances and some ugly things to reveal his power, his beauty, and who he is. So if you're looking for the palace, if you're looking for the cathedral, if you're looking for the grand temple of Artemis or the grand temple of, 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 of some other Greek god, uh, Zeus, or the grand uh, temple of Diana, and you're looking for the grand temple, you're not going to find him in some amazing, beautiful place. He might come in the ugliest places. Some of you that found Jesus, go back and look at it. You found him at some of the ugliest points of your life. You found him in some of the ugliest dirt, muck, and mire of your life. You didn't find him when your life was beautiful. You found him when your life was ugly. And even today, for those of you that are walking with him, he's still trying to show you himself in the ugliness of things that, you're in, that are surrounding you. Now watch this. This was awesome. Because again, we're finding out that Jesus is a big deal. And we said that Mark uses this term gospel, which conveys to us he's about to tell us a story of a victor. This is the story of this man named Jesus. It's amazing. But every superhero needs an origin story. And Mark doesn't take us to the, to the uh, manger. He doesn't give us the Egyptian years. He doesn't tell us of the feet of a 12-year-old sitting in the temple. He picks it up from the start, the origins of this hero, this Jesus guy. Every superhero needs an origin, whether it's the son of Krypton coming to earth to escape destruction and landing here and being discovered in a field in Kansas and being raised by a sweet old American couple only to find out that he is something special or is it a man who's driven into a cave because of the death of his parents and discovers that there is something that he can do if he just would embrace his life or others who may have fallen into some kind of chemical waste that we find that changes their makeup or they're bitten by a spider and suddenly they can do amazing things. Every superhero has an origin story. Jesus has an origin story. Because Mark tells us of the proclamation of who he is. He tells us how he got his start, but then he tells us where he was formed because immediately Mark uses this term. Then a voice came from heaven. You're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately, verse 12, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan and was with wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. Notice 
Mark is not trying to get into the temptation of Christ like others do, where they go through each particular temptation. I think Mark's trying to make a different understanding, is that he's trying to show you who Jesus is, but also laying a pattern by which you and I are going to follow. Remember, we're coming to this with fresh eyes, so we don't really know what to do, but Mark's trying to tell us what to do, right? We just got this scroll. We're reading it by candlelight. He's trying to tell us what we're going to do. Number one, Jesus is a big deal. This guy is... This guy is, uh, he's a really, really, really big deal. You're going to want to pay attention. Number two, he's, this, this news about Jesus Christ is fascinating. It's awe-inspiring. I mean, what other guy do you know has a voice from heaven proclaim who he is? And number three, there's something about him that's going to pull you, that's going to make you want to follow him. Because watch what happens. He says in verse 12, immediately, immediately, Jesus was driven out into the wilderness. Now we hear that word drove. It, it just sounds like he cut, you know, kind of sounds like he came out of the water, right? The dove ascends. The voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I well please. And there's like, okay. And then Jesus said, hey guys, listen, uh, this was great, but I need to go. That's not what the word really means there. The word driven there is actually the word ekbolo. Ek, ek it's a Greek word. And that word ekbolo um, is a, a, a word that means forced to leave. In fact, uh, it is used numerous times by Mark in the uh, next, we're going to, we'll see it in the next uh, couple of weeks. It's actually used by Mark when it's talking about driving out demons, that it's forced to leave, meaning there's a mandate. There's not an option. It's not a choice. It's not a, and Jesus decided that he would get out and walk to the wilderness to be alone with God for 40 days. It literally meant he came out of the water and there was something in the spirit of God that ekboloed, forced him to leave, forced him out, pushed him out where he didn't have a choice. You see, I will tell you this. God doesn't violate our will. God is not going to come and force you to do anything. But there are times and seasons of our life where the Spirit of God drives us. Yeah, you have a choice. Okay, you have a choice, yeah. But you really don't have a choice. I've used this illustration before, but allow me to close here with it today. And that is, it's, it's kind of akin to me taking you up to the top of world, the World Trade Center 1, the new one that's been built top of the building, I believe, is 1,776 feet high. Taking you to the edge of that building, standing you there, creeping you up to the edge and saying, okay, I brought you here, but I'm going to give you a choice. Jump or stay here. Now, theoretically, I've given you a choice. I haven't violated your will. But we all know it's not really a choice. We're not going to like the alternative if we jump. Am I giving you a choice? Sure. But the alternative is not so great. So it's a choice, but it's not a choice. You see, I'm not, I'm not painting God as the manipulator here. That's not the point. But God can't violate our will. But let's be frank. He's not always going to give you good options here. 
You know, it's not like heaven, hell, and then, um, you know, somewhere in the middle. There's choices here. It's a choice, but it's not a good choice. You see, the Bible says that Jesus was driven. Like there's something literally, I, the best way I can describe it when I think about it, it's like the Spirit of God grabs him and just says, let's go. Let's go. Now he went willingly. Some of us, I'm raising my hand because I, I be one of these. <laughs> some of us kind of go kicking and screaming sometimes. But God drives, pulls us. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been driven by God? Have you ever felt that? Where God has forced you? And I say forced, it sounds like I'm being kind of contradictory here that God can't buy our will, but he's forced. I, I'm not, do you ever feel like you, everything in your life has led down to only one choice? Where it seems like there's no other option but one way. Have you felt like that? Or let me ask you this. Do you, are there some of you that feel that way right now? Do you know that that is God at work in your life? It doesn't feel that right, right? No one likes to be squeezed. There are times where in my life I've described it this way. I feel like I was on the table in a vice grip and every day life was just cranking down more and more on me. Squeezing me and forcing me into this shape. I can resist it. I can fight it. I can, ah, I don't like this. Oh, I don't want this. But it's a futile effort because it only produces more misery. That's why we sing the song, give up and let Jesus take over. You can fight it, but you're not going to like the alternative. You can resist it, but it's not going to work out well. You see, that call to sonship that, that staple of sonship is going to produce a drive through the Spirit of God to take you into the depths of places. And I believe some of you today, God's trying to pull you into some areas of your life. He's trying to pull some things in you. He's trying to take you to some places. And you're right, i got to be frank with you, you don't have a choice. Yeah, technically you do. You can pack your bags up. You can go do something else. But you're not going to like the alternative. You can, you can move on and go somewhere else, but you're not going to like the results. I'm telling you this in the Holy Ghost. I'm finishing here. This is it. I'm done. But the last point I want to drive out that I feel so strongly in my spirit is God is trying to ekbolo some of you to a place in him, and you are resisting it. And he is going to let you win but you're not going to like the outcome. Some of you have heard me say this before. God will not play tug of war with you. When you tug with God and you're fighting with God and you're pulling and all of a sudden it feels like it's the resistance broke and you're like, this is it. It's worked. It's awesome. That's not a good thing. That means God has quit and let go and you've won, but you've lost. That's why the Bible says, if any man would gain the whole world and lose his soul, what does it profit? But if you would lose your soul for my sake, lose your life for my sake. So you can gain life, lose your soul, 
you can lose life and gain him. It's your option. You see, in his loving kindness, he uses the ugliness of circumstances to reveal himself. But the ugliness of circumstances, no, Jesus is, comes to the, will, to the wilderness, baptized in the sonship, and then goes into a further place of loneliness. He had to go deep into the wilderness to find a place where he could be alone. Sometimes God drives you into the darkest, deepest places of life so that you can be separated from everything around you, so that you can, he can be revealed in you. When Jesus came out of that wilderness, he was not the same person who went into that wilderness. Some of you, you're trying everything you can to find a path out of the wilderness. And I'm telling you right now, if you do, you'll miss what God's trying to do. Some of you want people. Some of you want familiarity. Some of you want the things you feel like COVID's taken away. I want those things back. You know what? You keep asking. God will give it to you. But you're going to walk out of the wilderness on day 15, day 16, day 17. You're going to miss the completion of what the wilderness has for you. Yeah, you've been ekboloed. You've been, you've been compelled, forced, pushed, driven by the Spirit of God to where you are. You may not like it. I don't think Jesus liked it because the Bible says he was hungry. I love it. The fact is like, well, it's God. He fasted for 40 days. It wasn't a big deal. The dude was hungry. He was so hungry. The devil knew he was hungry that he tempted him with hunger. Don't tell me it was all God was God. It wasn't a big deal. He was still flesh. Jesus wanted a snack. He was hungry. The devil even tried to get him on that hunger. But there was something pulling him that was greater than his fleshly hunger. There was a draw of the spirit. You can choose to acquiesce to the feelings of your fleshly hunger, or you can be driven by the power of the spirit that's saying, just go deeper, go farther, come with me farther. Who is Jesus to you? What is Jesus to you? What do you want him to be to you? Those are the three things that we're starting to see shaped here in the beginning. Who is Jesus to you? What has he been to you? And more importantly, what do you want him to be to you? You see, as we move into this study, we're going to find in Mark example after example of what Jesus wants to be to all of us. But more importantly, not what he wants to be, but what he is if you allow him. It's not always going to be free. There's going to be some cost to go with it. But the results are going to be worth everything. Father, I thank you today. I submit this to you. I believe you have driven me to uh, and led me to do this. We're studying your word sharing your story. But Lord, it's not my word. It's not my story. It's your story. It's your word. So I pray, God, that as we go through this book of the Bible that tells your story, that we're not just reciting words on a page, but Father, we are producing life and truth through you, by you, through faith. God, I know you're speaking. I can feel you speaking. I can feel the pull and tug of your spirit Speak to our hearts and lives today. Speak to us today. Push past 
the facade of our flesh and, and speak into our hearts and spirits today. Let us see you afresh and anew today. Open our eyes that we can see you. Open our ears that we can hear you. Open our hearts that we can receive you. In Jesus' name. For those of us that are dealing with circumstances that are ugly, let us see you and the revelation of who you are in those circumstances. For those of us that are feeling like you're forcing us into this place or you're forcing us, we're being driven and forced and we don't like it, our flesh doesn't like it, let us see and understand the power of the wilderness in our life today. That we can walk in sonship as you called us to in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I want to thank you today for uh, watching. I want to uh, thank you for participating. We are in uh, week one, and uh, we have, uh, we're going to be going through this now for the summertime, and we're going to be doing some things um, as we go through this again, kind of step by step. And uh, I pray in Jesus' name, I mean this sincerely, that you are blessed by each one of these lessons. But more importantly, more importantly, if you are traveling and you miss one of these, you're going to want to come back and watch them. This is going to be sequential. And if you don't, um, if you don't get one, you're going to, uh, uh, you're going to miss it. So if you're not able to watch, you're going to have to go back and watch. They'll be labeled week one, week two, week three, so you'll know which one you missed. And I'm encouraging you to make sure that you uh, get a hold of these and that you uh, participate and watch it um, and stay connected throughout the summer because it's going to be great. And I'm so thankful you've taken time out to be with us today. God bless you. I hope and pray in Jesus' name you have a wonderful week and walk with Jesus in your discipleship journey. We'll be back here again next Sunday at 10 uh, a.m. And tonight is our summer finale for Ride at Home. So you're going to want to be a part of that as we uh, take a little bit of time off for the summer for Ride at Home. We're going to have a little summer finale tonight. So come back for those of you that uh, like to hang out with us at Ride at Home tonight at 730. God bless you. We'll see you again this week. Tuesday Talk, Digging Deeper, Friday Devotional, and back here Sunday at 10 a.m. God bless you. We'll see you next time.